Welcome to the Amson Yuka podcast, where we explore the fabric of black identities through culture, food, art, life experiences, and more, sharing the stories of international creatives. I'm Kamara. Hi, everyone. I'm Heather, and we are your co-hosts. Thank you to everyone who is joining us for the first time today. And for those of you who are returning to be with the table with us, we thank you as well. We have a great show planned for you. And as always, we're going to start off our meal with an appetizer discussing today's theme. After that, we'll bring on our guests. So let's jump into the conversation. Well, for today's conversation, I thought we should start by talking about international collaborations. And, you know, part of the reason why we started this podcast was for the international element. You know, we've both grown up in different places and found ourselves in London and traveled so much in between. So I don't know about for you, Heather, but for me, um, just being international is really an integral part of my identity, I would have to say, um, especially having traveled to, I think, over 40 countries. So the Mm. thought of, um, I know, um, so the thought of like working internationally in a collaborative sense is something that I'm quite excited about. I haven't done it a lot, um, but I did, you know, start doing it when I lived in Kuwait we would work with companies from the UK and I would organize to bring them over. And so that was kind of the first things that I did. And then since being in the UK with Artistry Youth Dance, we did an exchange with a company called Untold. And one of the benefits of working internationally um, and collaborating with them is that they had a, a level of expertise and experience and local knowledge specifically about Amsterdam that just you know, I just don't have. So if I tried to do what we did by myself, one, it wouldn't have had the same impact because we didn't exchange. So we, we learned from them, they learned from us. But if I, if I'd gone to Amsterdam myself, I just wouldn't have been the same. I wouldn't have had that insider knowledge, that local knowledge, um, and the experience that they brought to it that just added such a richness to the project. Um, mm-hmm. So that was definitely one of the benefits and an example that I have. What, what's your thought about international collaborations? Do you have an experience with them, first of all? Um, definitely. Actually, my work um, has always been international and similar to you. It's like embedded in just who we are because of where we've lived, where we've worked, where we've traveled. Um and I think I really spoke it into my career because I remember growing, well, not growing up, but when I was in college and undergrad, um, I would say to all of my peers and my friends in my dance company, like, I'm going to be an international star. Like, I just mm-hmm. claimed it. Had never, I mean, I had never really technically danced anywhere besides the States and anywhere kind of right there. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I know this is what I want to do and I want that to be a part of my career. So. Definitely. When I was working with One Dance UK, my title was actually um, Programmer for Dance of the African Diaspora Stroke International Development. So it was about building those partnerships and working with different artists, bringing them over. Um, One of my really big projects with them um, was the Regenerations Conference. And that conference in itself is an international conference. It's about bringing all those different voices together so that you can, again, learn from that expertise. And we were, of course, importing them all into the UK, but there's still that exchange of like 
the local artists here in in the UK were coming to meet the artists that were traveling from the different countries um, and the different continents, in fact. And it was really just brilliant to see how how connected we are, but also just to see that that landscape of of differences and how we work and and the cultures that we bring to the conversation and all that makes up the art and the, and the sector um and even on a smaller scale anytime i think for me I, it's second nature so anytime that i have friends that come into town or i get messages from my friends quite often um they're like i want to come to london i want to do some work or i want to teach or i want to do this and that and it's really important like i say playfully like i like to get my friends jobs because mm-hmm. i do i like to i like to connect people i like to get them to experience the things that i've been fortunate enough to experience in in coming here um and so i really I really um, work towards making those connections with people and getting them aligned with um, opportunities where they can share their expertise, learn something, get a new experience. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's really just integral to what I do. And, and like you said, having those perspectives is what gives you the the best experience is when people come together and, it, and it, it's you're learning on equal sides. Mm-hmm. You know, that someone, everyone's bringing something to the table, to the conversation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I would agree with that. And what would you say is like the key, something key to remember um, to have a successful international collaboration? For me, it's just openness, openness and good and effective communication. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, s- sometimes there might be a language barrier. Mm-hmm. And so when that has happened with me, even when I've witnessed, when I've been an outsider to other international collaborations, um, you know, there's there's the vulnerability that happens when there's um, a bit of, of translation that has to happen in, in languages. Mm-hmm. And it also creates a, a nice, um, shouldn't I say quoi? I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> it just creates a nice sort of like creative space mm-hmm. when, you, when you do have that language barrier because you, you have to be more open. You have to be more attentive. You, yeah. have, to, you have to see things and experience and feel things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, openness. What about you? Yeah, definitely with the communication and and I have experienced with the project where, um, the communication and that came with, I think, cultural differences, Mm -hmm. um, caused, caused, uh, I'll just say friction really. And we resolved it by having clear communication, addressing the issues, Mm -hmm. um, because yeah, there are other cultural differences that just, um, you don't really understand unless you learn to understand. So yeah, so definitely that communication is very important and that, that, that really helped, um, in that particular, um, instance that we, that we face that. Um, but thinking forwards from that, um, I thought it would be good to kind of dream and think what would be a goal international collaboration. I think any of our listeners would probably be able to guess what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> actually, actually, I've got two things. I've got two things. International collaboration, obviously, with my favorite company, the Alvin Ailey American Dance Company. I would love to do some kind of, of exchange course. project, peace creation there with the young people. 
people. Um, and then my second one is there's a company ca- called um, Bangara Dance Company in Sydney, Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an Indigenous dance company. It's contemporary dance, but it's um, uh, with Indigenous dancers. Um, they're really well known um, in Australia and they're based in Sydney. Some kind of project uh, with them would also be my goal. How about you? Um, for me, I would really love some sort of international collaboration that takes me to the continent. Um, I've had like traveling to the continent on my list, on my golden list for a few years now, obviously COVID. Mm -hmm. I roll. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I really, really want that to happen. And I feel like I even more so I yearn for it because I've seen other institutions or organizations um, do international collaborations with countries on the continent. And it's not been an equal playing field. Mm -hmm. And I would really like to be part of a conversation where I'm not coming to tell them what I can do and how they can do it better, but I'm really going to learn and to just really be embedded in the culture and the work mm-hmm. um, and really find a way to build like a long lasting relation, international collaborative relationship mm-hmm. where it's not just a one-off thing where I'm like really pouring into whatever um, the infrastructure is or isn't around dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. As far as the Bangara company, I really would love to learn more about the Indigenous Australian culture because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't really learn much um, growing up. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I would like to know more. Um, so yeah, so those are some great things about international collaborations. And I think on that note, we should take a look to see who is coming to the table. Yes, we should. And I'm sure they have a lot to say about collaborating internationally and and working in that space. So we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back to start the conversation. Welcome back. And it's time to introduce our guests. We have Sam Tebendeke here with us today. But before he comes to the virtual table, I'll share a little bit about him. Samuel Tebendeke is a screenwriter, producer, and director with a background in finance and accounting. He is the CEO and co-founder of Kiasi TV, a multi-format streaming platform for short-form Afrocentric content. Alumnus of the MNET Screenwriters Workshop 2009, Maisha Film Lab 2008 and 2009, WAGA Film Lab 2020, and the Film Pro Series Pitching and Post-Production Workshop 2021, Sam has gone on to write for TV and film. His debut short film, Another Beautiful Day, was released in mid-2017 and was in the official selection of the 40th Durban International Film Festival 2019. His directorial debut, 10 O'Clock, a short film premiered in April 2019 in competition for the Young African Filmmakers Award at the Africa Film Festival in Leuven, Belgium. The film was also screened in competition at POF Short Films Festival 2019 in Estonia. With his producer, Juliana Kabuya, Sam participated in the 2020 edition of the Wagga Film Lab to present Conversations with My Mother, a feature film that is currently in development under the Less is More script development program run by Le Groupe West, the project was presented at the Durban Film Mart in August 2021. 
Let's welcome Sam to the table. Welcome, Sam. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. <laughs> yes, and we're really grateful to have you joining us um, from Please remind us where you're joining us from again today. So today I'm in Brest. I've been here for a few days. Um, yeah, Brest in France, in at the coast of France. Mm-hmm. So it's lovely weather, wonderful sea, amazing seafood. <laughs> oh gosh, great! Well, it's a it's a far cry from the grey of London where we are at the moment, but that's fine. We will live vicariously through you. So let's get started and learn a bit more about you, Sam. I'm very excited, and I'd I'd love to know first of all, what is a significant memory that you had growing up that shaped who you are today? Growing up, I um, one thing that I remember was because I was. I was born in the UK, uh, for those who may not know, in a small town. Um, and we had this wonderful house that we lived in with my parents and my sister. And one day they went on a outing, on an outing somewhere. I don't remember where. I just know that they forgot me in the house. And so the whole day, or at least it felt like the whole day, I was in the house by myself. And one of the things that at least I, that for some reason I think that, impacted on me is that I feel like it taught me to rely on myself and to not be afraid to be by myself. So I think that's something that for me is a significant memory. And yeah, I live my life by myself mostly. And I do things, I kind of motivate myself to do stuff. Where was it that you were when you were left home alone? Uh, Yes. So I was in the house. I think it was, we had a house in Reading or something. Yeah. So that's where I was. In Reading. Okay. Right. I'm with you. So it sounds like kind of a little bit of a a British version of the film Home Alone. Hopefully they came came to rescue you at some point though. So where would you consider home? Uh, home is Uganda because uh, uh, my well, my mother and father were born in Uganda, and although recently we trace, we were, I was talking to my aunt, uh, my dad's sister, and she was telling us that we may have our ancestry in Tanzania. So <laughs> I don't know, but home like for now, home is is Uganda. Okay, nice Uganda, but maybe Tanzania. We'll 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 do a bit more research there. And so, thinking about Uganda, what is a favorite food that you have from home? And do you have an experience or a special memory with that food? Okay, recently I started liking matoke. Yeah, um, not recently, but a few like at least five ten years ago, I started to love matoke. Matoke is basically steamed bananas um, or plantain. No, not plantain. Steamed bananas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're raw when they when they cook them. So yeah, for those of you who've eaten them, you you will know. <laughs> uh, and one of the things that and it's it's a negative. It's sort of like a negative memory of it. Uh, when I came back from Reading, my my family back home were used to eat a lot of matoke and that was the first food I was forced to eat and I hated it. And so my uncle had this genius plan to make me to starve, not starve me. He said, you know what, if the child doesn't want to eat, let him starve. And so eventually I ate it. So I was forced to, I didn't like it for many years, but I, I started to love it again because, you know, eating it with my wife and, uh, you know, being away from home and remembering, and know you eat it with this peanut sauce um, mm. that sometimes you can put mushrooms or or 
beef or goat or fish. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds good. So is it used um, as, a, as a savory dish, kind of like how plantain is used with savory meals? Is that how it's eaten? Uh, hmm. Good question. I have no idea. I mean, it's just like a main meal, really. It's like oh, okay. they serve you this steaming hot mashed pla- mashed bananas, mm-hmm. and then they have the side sauce. So you can have you can have that side sauce, which is a uh, peanut sauce, and then you can also have sweet potatoes, and they can also add rice or cassava or you know yams. <laughs> so it's really many things we have a lot of food in uganda please come visit if you don't know where we, you know if you've never been mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's a wonderful delight yes nice. we'll definitely have to check it out sometime tether and i are obsessed with food at yams yes. and yuka so <laughs> thank you for that nice introduction there yes and it sounds like we have another recipe to add to our, our cookbook mm-hmm. so we'll add that we'll add that to our list and um it's interesting we've had a couple people um who've said that their significant memory is something that's not quite so negative i mean that's not quite so positive um with their favorite food but it's really nice to hear that you know you've come around and you really enjoy it and you have pleasant memories you know eating with your wife and, and family and i remember when we spoke with you um you actually you definitely weren't in France the last time we spoke with you. You, I know that you work in Kenya as well. So can you talk about that journey from mm. Uganda to Kenya and yeah, how you, how you ended there? Uh, so uh, as you know, Heather mentioned earlier, I'm a screenwriter. I'm a filmmaker, um, been a filmmaker since 2009. And for many years, I I doubled in dance and film and got really serious about film like about 2015. And I mean, I worked on the set of Queen of Katwe uh, as an accounting clerk, changed my life, got inspired to do my own content, started to create work. And 2017, um, actually, no, 2016, we had the elections and the work vanished. You know, we had this so much hope after Queen of Katwe in 2015. Um, we thought, ah, the world is going to change for us and nothing happened. So the whole of 2016, which was really tough for my wife and I, we had no work. Mm. And then 2016 rolled around and One Fine Day Films, which uh, is a film, Pan-African film training program, they they had a workshop for a film that they wanted to shoot. So what they do is that they develop a film, a film idea into a script then do the workshop with different departments, then do pre-production and then they produce the film and then release it. So I was, I applied to be a production accountant trainee and yeah, that's how I got, I got to Kenya. And I, while we're in production of the film, uh, I was offered a job with this company, this organization and as a project coordinator. And I've not left Kenya since then, although I'm returning to Uganda in a few days. Wow. Wow. Excellent. So Ken, you, you've mentioned a few things and we heard in your bio, you started out in finance and accounting and now you're a filmmaker. Can you tell us about the focus of your work, sort of the themes and, and why you choose to center your work around this? Huh, good question. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew that I, like I've, I've thought about this question and I, I let it go and then I think come back to it. I think my work is around identity um, and Uh, my place in society and how I navigate the world and how 
how I see the world and observe it. And like my work varies in terms of subject matter, like this film we're presenting in France at the Less Is More showcase we're at. Uh, it's really about shame and the shame that breeds silence, you know, you know, and how this is an insidious environment for, for all manner of vice to happen. Um, so it's really what I observe and how I approach the world and how I see the world and how I navigate through the world. Yeah. Like my work is, I think I'm still growing into figuring out what the focus really is, but I'd say it's identity for now. Yeah. Excellent. And as you're growing through that, can you talk about some of the different roles you've played in the film industry um, and which of those you've enjoyed and why? So I started off as a, uh, actually, I really started off as an actor, like a, like an extra in a short film in one Maisha Film Lab, which is a program that was set up by Mira Naya. Many of you might know her from Monsoon Wedding, Mississippi Masala, Salam Bombay, Funda- Reluctant Fundamentalist, Queen of Katwe, the namesake. And so A Suitable Boy, recent that was on BBC, uh, the series, the limited series. Uh, so I was a play, uh, an extra in that, then got interested in, in filmmaking, uh, got into screenwriting, and then went into producing, uh, developing content for the screen. And then in 2018, I, oh, sorry, before that, I worked in production accounting as well. And then in 2018, I was meant to produce the short film, 10 o'clock. My wife was meant to direct it. I had written it and she got stuck in Uganda doing something else. And I'd already set the plan to shoot the film. So I said, okay, I'm going to do the film. We'll shoot it. That was my like directorial debut, the reluctant director, basically. Uh, and I thought, oh, wow, this is an interesting experience. And as much as I know close to nothing about it, I think I might have something to say. And yeah, so I've worked as well as a director. And I'll be directing my first feature film, God willing, uh, inshallah, and all that <laughs> in in 2023, yeah, or maybe earlier, depending on how it how funding goes. Yeah, so I'm also a supporter of film filmmakers. I I mentor filmmakers informally without my knowledge. <laughs> I also <laughs> set up programs for filmmaking for filmmakers. You know, training programs. We had a. We had a creative producers lab just before this week we traveled to France. So it's been hectic and exciting. And I think I mentioned part of it before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So which of those roles do you enjoy the most or have, have found most inspiring for you? The roles I enjoy the most really are... I love producing uh, more than anything. Uh, it's sort of like project management. And I like to control things. I like the kitchen. Uh, I like to see the <laughs> things, put the ingredients together. Yeah. On many mm-hmm. levels, I'm a micromanager, control freak, but I love what I do. And I mean, well, I know when someone says control freak, pro- micromanager, it comes off as an, an, with a negative connotation, but I really do 
have com- empathy and compassion for the people I work with. And sometimes it's out of that passion that I I end up taking on their roles because I need the thing to get done. Yeah. Mm. So mm. definitely can relate to that. <laughs> so um with the way that we met actually is around a conversation about um international collaborations and just hearing all the different places that you've showed work and that you have created and produced work. You have worked internationally quite a bit. So um, why are international collaborations and opportunities important to you? Uh, It's interesting that I'm here in France trying to get European producers or international producers on our project. So obviously for me, this is important. Mm -hmm. Reason being that uh, there are certain countries with mechanisms that facilitate the creation of work. Europe is a fantastic space for co-production because they have the Eurimage, which is the European Union funded uh, program for creative projects on screen. And they have access to that funding. So you know, if I wanted to do post-production in, say, Lithuania or Poland or Germany or France, I it's very easy because then they get that money. I don't have to raise it and spend it. You know, they figure it out. They budget for that. And for me, it's, it's an opportunity for other cultures to interact with your project and, you know, make the work richer because usually it's it's great if you have a project that's of international appeal, that's a universal subject, Um you know, and then everyone contributes to it with that sensibility, not from a place of, oh, I know better than you, or I'm bringing a a lot of this money, but no, from a place of, I I have something to offer you that can propel this story or that can complement or enhance your storytelling ability. So I feel that even just as humans, we need to work together because, you know, sometimes it's hard to make the work on the continent and not even sometimes a lot of the times and you know i'll speak for film for example making a film if you have a budget of about five hundred thousand dollars or euros or whichever currency raising that money on the continent is super hard so these partnerships tend to you know reduce the burden and motivate maybe Mm. even local investors to come on board Mm. excellent yeah, that must be a really enriching experience to be able to have the chance to work with so many different collaborators and especially internationally. And seeing as you've been doing this for a while, what are some of the key factors that you would say make a successful collaboration? Because, you know, I'm sure there are some things that are really important to make sure it, it works well. For one, it is respect. Mm-hmm. I think that by far is the most important thing. And if there's only one thing that needs to happen to make, like if you ask me for one thing, that's the only thing. Because from the place of respect, people come come to the project or to the engagement with empathy, sympathy, compassion, and are there to make to make the story work, to make the project work. It's not about ego. It's not about what do you have? What don't you have? Who do you know? What don't you know? Like it's, 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 it's the bedrock, you know? And then from respect comes trust, you know? Um, because I respect you, I know you can do what you say you do, or, or if you're unable to, you will, you will tell me and I will be able to, 
either find a way to chip in or like figure it out, you know? So I think it's, it's those two things, Mm -hmm. if anything, that's for me, how it works. Uh, That's what would make a collaboration work anyway. Yeah, definitely. So respect and, and trust, yeah, that would have to be quite important to to make sure that you're all traveling in the same direction. Uh, so th- with that in mind and with the experience that you've had, what would you say the biggest lesson you've learned about working with artists from across the globe is? That everyone has something important to say. Mm-hmm. And given the right environment or space to express that, um, you know, I feel that there is so much I can learn from them. Like, again, it's interesting that we're having this interview while I'm here in France because we've been on this program for the whole year, Less Is More, uh, by Look Hoop West, and it's a script development program. And there are people, I can tell you, there were about three black people in this program. And when I say black, one was Belgian. One was South African, a woman. One was the, the Belgian is a man, and I am from Uganda, a man. The rest are white Europeans, and it's okay. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but when they when they when they when they listen to your story and when they gave you feedback, at least with my group, because we were grouped into four four people a group, uh, when they gave you feedback, it was from a place of empathy for your characters, not for you know what you know or anything. It's not even about ego. It's not about uh, you know I know more than you. You know excuse me, I've done film longer than you have. I know this is the way. No, it wasn't about that. It was about, can you try this? What about this? I don't hear you. I don't hear this in what you're telling me. Like maybe you're missing something, you know, from a place again of respect, you know, and I think that uh, it's, it's enriching for me because people from different cultures can see my story and relate with it. And that they, they've they've heard a version of that story from their culture, you know. It doesn't matter what context it is, you know. All these universal themes, for example, love, love is love is love. From wherever you are, you know, we experience it. So I think the fact that we all see the world through different lenses, but experience like we we experience similar emotions, similar frustrations. Uh, that's important and that people can also contribute something to what I'm doing. And, you know, it's not from a place of difference, but uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And just, I guess the reminder that we have more in common than we have, um, that it makes us different. Yeah. And just curious as well, just because you mentioned there were three black um artists on the program how many people are on the program so there's 16 projects and so 13 people are definitely <laughs> from europe mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah the three of us are from no well actually even the black man the belgian is from belgium he's mm-hmm. european <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so there are two africans in that way and maybe in total three people of african descent Okay. All right. Great. Just uh, that was just my curiosity there. Just <laughs> wanting to know a bit more. Um, digging deeper, getting the information. 
Um, but thank you for that. And yeah. yeah, it must be an enriching experience. And again, what you said about respect and trust, being able to take on that feedback from people. Um, again, you need to have that respect and that trust to be able to uh, have that kind of a learning and development environment. Absolutely. And not only are you creating your own work, but you're supporting others and and creating, you have a platform for others to share their work. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about Kiasi TV? You've already said what it is. <laughs> it's a short form platform, short form content platform. And uh, what I'll maybe just briefly talk about where we came from to set it up. So it's really uh, from a place of frustration again. Uh, one, we don't have many di- distribution mechanisms for short form content. So you have you have these international platforms that are looking for content from the big festivals, Clément Ferrand, uh, Oberhausen, uh, you know, T- Toronto International Film Festival, London Film Festival. If, you, if you're in film, you know them. And many people don't make it to that space. Many short filmmakers don't make it there. Uh, even user-generated content creators don't have the opportunity except through YouTube or IGTV or social media in general. So we wanted to make sure that for one, create a space, it's not the only space, but create another space for creatives to earn income sustainably, you know, another 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 avenue. Uh, and we're focusing on short form content because one, it's an easy entry point for filmmakers and content creators, but more so for the audience because there's this rumor that black or black audiences don't watch content from their cultures, which is the biggest lie. But if it is true, we thought that short form content is a nice entry point. You tell someone, just take five minutes, just take 10 minutes, just take 20 minutes, watch this thing. If you like it, you can watch another and another and another and another. It's also, it's really about audience building, audience development at the same time, because uh, those audiences that watch the short form content can then graduate to the longer form content and then everyone is happy. It's a virtuous cycle. You know, they can support that content. They can watch that content. Creators can earn money from subscriptions, can earn money from the ads for those who are not paying for subscriptions. So it's really like that virtuous cycle. But also another thing is that discovery and curation of short form Afrocentric content is very poor. When you go to YouTube, if I type in African film or short form short film from from Africa, it's it brings me a stream of content. I'll watch for a bit and then I'm taken to music, and more likely Nigerian music. So there are not that many platforms that are catering to African content or Afrocentric content, and we wanted to add our voice to that. Yeah, so that's that's really what Kiasi TV is and why we exist and what we hope to achieve in the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty years. Nice. And how are you finding the response to from people within the continent and then internationally to the platform? Um, we haven't really. Well, we've been working in stealth, stealth mode. So it's word of mouth. <laughs> there is positive feedback. Um, so, yeah. And I, I, it's really early days. And I, I realized that I need to be kind to myself and accept that uh, this will take a couple of years to really get off the ground, mm-hmm. you know. 
optimistic, like realistically, mm-hmm. optimistically could take a shorter time, but you know, you have to work with what you have. And again, remember the thing I said about audience development, you have to build that audience. You have to build that, that, you know, that habit in people. And that's a consistently showing content that's exciting. That's, you know, that's coming from young filmmakers who are young content creators. And it's not just video content. It's also audio content like podcasters, you know, maybe Yamza and Yuka could be on Kiasi. I don't know. Like it's, 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 it's different things, different kinds of pieces of content that haven't found a, a, that are kind of everywhere. We want to put them in one place. And that's kind of the thing. And it takes time to build that. Mm. But like you asked about the response. So we're going to launch probably in the beginning of next year. We've been having a bit of a technical difficulties getting the platform ready for launch. Uh, but, you know, these things are expected, I guess. Mm-hmm. I was naive before. I am much wiser now. <laughs> but I am very, I'm very optimistic about it because... I know that there is one content. There are filmmakers who are learning to make content who are interested in making it. They have no training whatsoever, but they're making exciting content. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that coffin video from last year was a hit. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, people are making like Jerusalem challenges and what. This is all content. And these are stories that people are telling about the continent of Africa and this diaspora. And, you know, yeah. No. I've answered a totally different question, but it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but you have mentioned something that we, you know, we wanted to ask you and it's really important is like, how are you gracious? Sorry. How are you gracious or patient with yourself as you're encountering these challenges and sort of what are your tools for navigating those? For the, like last year, which was really the main, main period when we started the platform, I, I, I was always focused on what have you done today? What have you missed? What do you need to do? Uh, It spilled over into this year and I started to beat myself about being unproductive and, you know, oh, Sam, look at all these founders. They constantly work day and night. They're doing this, they're doing that. And I realized, look, some of these founders have money, they have resources, they have support, they have they have all these 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 mechanisms that make make it possible for them to do that. And yes, there are those who are not doing it, like who are also in my own position. And I realize we're all on a different path. And if I remain true to my vision for the company and for what we want to achieve, and I, I'm consistent with that, I know that one day I'll have a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And so I'm learning to just take a pause. If I don't feel like doing something in that day, even though I've committed, I can communicate and say, look, I know I committed to do this thing. Sometimes I forget, but I tell the person, you know what? I can't make it. I really can't. Can I move this to another day or another time? Or I'm not able to do it at all. And also just forgive myself and be kind and just know that, look, Sam, you're only human. You're one person. You're holding this thing. It's, it's huge but it's not going to happen in one day. It's one step at a time, you know, take the staircase. You don't know what's at the top, but Hey, just take the first step and -hmm. take another and another one foot in front of the other. Every day, wake up, think about the vision and just say, okay, what can I do today? Realistically, can I push myself today? Okay. If I can't push myself, what can I do tomorrow? You know, it's, it's really about remembering that I am human. Mm. And it's okay to not be 
in quotes, productive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, rest is still productive. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that I think we all learn at some point. Yeah. Um, that we are human and rest is productive and to take things one step at a time. Um, but despite all that, you still are achieving a lot of things and doing some wonderful work. So what would you say your vision is for yourself in the future, whether that's personal or professional? So, uh, okay, let's go with my personal vision. Um, I mean, I'd like to have a family. I have a wife, of course, <laughs> 10 years, and I'd like to have a family, settle down, you know, have something consistent. And yeah, I mean, personally, like just that support system and just have people I can take care of and just, you know, look after my family and my extended family as well. So that's personally, and also grow as a human being and just uh, develop as a human being, you know, just see the world and, and explore it and, and, and take in the cultures and enhance my understanding of the time I live in and the places I, you know, encounter and visit and travel to. Professionally, of course, there are, I mean, Kias is a key part of this, of this journey. I want to build a platform that outlives me which I can at some point walk away from and know that it's in safe hands. It exists to support uh, content creators that seek to finance content creators or provide avenues for financing that provides capacity building, you know, uh, in terms of training, in terms of resources and things. Uh, I'd like to be a, well, a filmmaker, I'd like to make at least one feature film a year if I can. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'd like to grow in the craft because I know that it's a, it's a wonderful craft to engage in. And I know that I can be, I can be the best version of myself if I, div- if I work, if I work towards that and, and learn different things about the craft. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's okay. Well, that sounds that sounds quite exciting. And if you were to say, um, thinking about that vision, if there was kind of that one um, dream thing to happen, what would you say that would be? Oh, I would like for think big, Sam. Oh, think big. You don't need to think big. I mean, I, I see, I see Kiasi with a billion subscribers, a billion with a B. I'm serious because. One, I know that right now there are about 1.5 billion people of African descent estimated. And I know in 2030, there'll be three times that number, you know, given the trajectory that we're on. Uh, No, actually, they said a billion people in urban centers in Africa. So that means there'll be probably more. The internet will have developed to a point where it's fantastic and it's everywhere and, you know, you can access. So, yeah, a billion users. Why not in 10 years? Yes. I can dream bigger, but I'll stop there. Because <laughs> <laughs> stop there for now. <laughs> yes, I think that's definitely um, definitely a good goal. So where can, and well, sorry, how can listeners learn more about you and your work? Uh, you can go to Instagram. I, I'm, I'm on Instagram a lot. I'm a young one. Uh, so Tebande mm-hmm. Kelutaya, I think Heather and Kamara can put these in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, I'm rarely on, on Facebook, 
but I think I think if you look for Samuel Tevandeke Lutaya, you will find him, or Samuel Lutaya Tevandeke. Um, if you go to kiasitv.com, you will find a bit of information about the company. And, you know, when we launch, we'll be able to put like the links to the official page uh, and the app. Uh, where else? Well, yeah, if you have my number, you can call me. If you have my email address, sam at kiasitv.com uh, to reach out for collaboration, to know more about the company. You know, if you want to help creatives, hey, I'm here. We organize trainings as well. Uh, because again, the point about building capacity, like upskilling the industry is about building, you know, skills, of course. Like making sure that the filmmakers of today are going to be fabulous, you know, storytellers in the future. And that requires training and, you know, mm. access to learning resources. So, you know, that's me. Okay. So we're not just going to skip over app. Um, we have an app for Kiosi TV. It is coming. This is what, this is what I was saying. Like I'm experiencing technical difficulties because <laughs> it's still, okay. it's still being prepared, but it will be an Android app for a start. And then, as we build and and God willing raise funding, we can do an an iOS app. And yeah, nice, excellent. So they'll be able to watch all of that content right there on their phone and access it nicely. So we have that to look forward to. Yeah, I know. And not just watch, but also listen. Imagine podcasts, audiobooks, you know, mm-hmm. audio series. I, I imagine one day, not too not too long, not too far in the future, when your grandmother can read a lala can read you a bedtime story in your local language. How about that? You know, it's a way mm-hmm. to preserve language as well. You have a thousand, I think, probably estimated a thousand languages. In, on the continent, imagine all those stories, you know, even if it's just one story per language, you know, mm. that's an archive of knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. So we're nearing the end of our conversation. Um, but before you go, we have a surprise question that we do with all of our guests. Um, and the question is, which do you prefer, yams or yuca? And how do you like them cooked? Yams, and I like them steamed in banana fibers, uh, banana leaves, banana leaves. <laughs> yeah, I love them with peanut sauce or beef stew or, you know, fish. Yeah. Okay. So you've answered my question as well. What's the perfect meal, including one of those? <sighs> Uh, well, I mean, I just did like, uh, yams with steamed, no, there's, there's, okay. There's a, there's a dish in, in Uganda, in Buganda, which is a tri- the biggest tribe in, tribe in, in, in Uganda that I belong to, uh, that serves a dish called Luombo. If you ever come to Uganda or if you ever find a restaurant in London or in the U.S., that serves Ugandan food, ask for Luombo. So it's these specially prepared banana leaves that, that are malleable. They're really soft and they make a pouch and dump like the ingredients. So they dump like roast beef or roast goat, put onions, tomatoes, salt, water, and that's it. And they tie it off with a banana, banana fiber, steam it, delicious. 
amazing. Anything. Like you can put any sort of sauce. With peanuts with mushrooms, peanuts with beef, peanuts with f- dried fish, smoked fish, not dried fish, smoked fish. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And do they um do the, you say they steam that? Um because it just reminds me of when I used to travel in um the South Pacific and they made something similar to that, but they would cook it in the ground. So it was kind of cooked that way. Mm. How is it, how is that cooked? Is it similar to that? No, no, no. But but they get a saucepan and put water and line this water, the saucepan. So the wonderful thing about Buganda is that we tend to use a lot of the banana plant. Mm-hmm. So they get the the stalks of the banana leaves and place them at the bottom for a base. Pour water on top, and then they put the matoke wrapped in banana fibers, banana mm-hmm. leaves again, and they tie that off. And then on top, they put the, the sauce pouches and that steams. So they cover it and just keep adding water, adding water until it's ready. And then they, ma- yeah. So I was going to tell you about the matoke, but then I, 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 I'm not answering the question. <laughs> but yeah, it's just steam. <laughs> That's fine. We can, you can, you can divert and talk about whatever it is you want. Um, we can listen to food stories all day, really. <laughs> okay, this sounds um, like a um a new <laughs> cooking show on the rise here. <laughs> we do love to hear about food. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting to hear about that. But as I said, it yeah it really did remind me of my time in um, the South Pacific where they use banana leaves to wrap their food as well. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so yeah, so the, the African diaspora history is, is throughout, you know, throughout the world. Um, but we wanted to, but thank you for sharing, sharing that with us. And I look forward to trying that sometime Luwombo. I know what to ask for when I go to a Ugandan restaurant now. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Did I say it correctly? Luwombo. I'm, I've got to get that. Um, yes, definitely. Next time. Um, with an with a, with with an accent, but yeah. it still works. So my Aussie, you know, my Aussie I'll understand ac- it. My Aussie accent of saying Luwombo <laughs> is not quite the one. Then. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's fine. Like like um, it, it's if you said it, I would understand it, and anyone in a restaurant would get it, right? If they know what you know. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that as my accent was not very good, but I will keep on trying. <laughs> I'll keep on trying. Sam, thank you. And I think on that note, I think on that note, we will we will draw things to a close um, and kind of wrap things up for today. So, really, want to thank you for giving us an inside yes. look into your life as a filmmaker and creative entrepreneur. And we are very much looking forward to sharing this with our listeners. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Thank you so much, Heather, Kamara. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Um, um, I, yeah, I, I talk about my life a lot, but you know, your questions also, you know, interrogated other parts of my life that I rarely talk about. So I'm, I'm really, I'm thankful for the chance to share. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And that's kind of what we want. We want to ask you things that people typically don't get to know about you mm-hmm. so that we're really connecting with with the artists and the diaspora in a different way. And and again, seeing those similarities that come up in our food and how we work. And like you said, those universal um, themes that come up in, in what we do and who we are. So thank you for, for sharing that with us and being open with the conversation. 
Thank you. I, I look forward to other conversations. <laughs> yes, and to having uh, maybe having a little cooking lesson with banana leaves and and the matoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Next time. <laughs> Good. Well, now that we have heard that, we are going to take a break to digest everything Sam has shared with us. And when we come back, it will be time to indulge in a little dessert. Yes, we'll be right back. We are back and it's time for our sweet and savory desserts. We are going to recap those moments in the conversation that give us a sweet sugar rush or others that are richer, stick to the stomach and a bit more fulfilling. So for me, my sweet moment, well, I mean, it's kind of sweet, a little bit savory. I'm going to mix them a, mix them a little bit, um, Heather, if that's all right with you. Go ahead. Um, so my sweet moment was that he talked about kind of um, communal themes and that respect is the bedrock of working with others for successful collaborations, respect, which leads to trust and empathy. So it's kind of savory, but it's also sweet because it's it's kind of warm. It's kind of nurturing to remember that those key themes bring us all together so does it so I, like a nice chocolatey rich yeah pudding yeah, almost yeah i think I, I think i cheated a little bit there but i'm I'm, right. I'm sticking with it i'm sticking with it <laughs> hopefully hopefully that will that will count um what about you heather well that definitely counts you know i'm i'm a fan of the deep rich chocolate mm-hmm. sweet thing so i'll take it um my sweet moment's a little bit lighter. It was when he was talking about um, the matoke and starting out not liking it and then mm. eventually coming to love it once again. And we've had that again, like a couple times with different people on the show where like their favorite foods, it's like they have this traumatizing, I don't know what it is. They have this mm-hmm. traumatizing experience at the beginning of their in their childhood. And then as they get older, they kind of leave that trauma behind and um, start to love it even more. So, and then, you know, of course he had all the different meals that go with it, the peanut sauce and the mushrooms and mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. fish and all that. So that was really sweet. And also kind of like, you know, it's just bananas because it's also, it's, it's bananas. That seems to be something just like um, cassava, just like yams. It's something that kind of carries through mm-hmm. a lot of the the African and Caribbean and um, African diasporic traditions. It's like there's some form of a banana something, whether it's a plantain or steamed bananas or something like that, that people seem to have in their, in their cuisine. So I like it. Yeah, definitely. That's a good one. And I, I think I mentioned during the interview that it reminded me of my time in Fiji because mm-hmm. there was a dish that's really similar to what he was describing and how they cooked in the banana banana leaves. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, bringing that universal connection. And mm-hmm. what about your savory moment? Um, my savory moment was when he said everyone has something to say. So he's talking about that collaborative, um, conversation and experience that he's having, um, working with international filmmakers and writers and it adding to the story and the perspective of the story. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's such a, 
a key part of storytelling. It makes it for a more interesting um, experience. And again, when you're finding those uh, communal themes, even when someone that's coming from a different culture, even if it's not within the African diaspora, within the African um, um, narrative, for people to kind of meet somewhere and still have something to contribute Mm -hmm. um, no matter what. That was really, really, really savory for me. What about you? Yeah, mine was similar, really, when he was talking about the universal themes and he said, for example, love. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, kind of the same thing that we... uh, essentially we're all the same we have a lot a lot of things in common um and yeah that's that's what I wrote down as as my savory moment the universal theme um for example love yeah so we all need love (laughs) we do indeed well on that light note I guess that's it for us today uh, we'd like to thank you all for listening. Please let us know what your, your sweet and savory moments were using the hashtag Yams and Yuka. That's right. Don't forget to tag us at Yams and Yuka on Twitter and at Yams and Yuka podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Alternatively, you can email us at Yams and Yuka podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is Yams and Yuka podcast at gmail.com. Yes, we want to hear your thoughts on today's conversation. Let's keep it going. Feel free to share your stories as well to add them to our Yams and Yuka tapestry. And we will chat with you guys next time. Bye. Bye.